Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David. Uh, as you know, recently we've been doing more audio podcasts, but from time to time, every month or so, we're gonna do a video podcast when the guest really warrants it. And today's guest certainly warrants it. We have Christian, one of the partners in Privateer. If you don't know what Privateer is, it's a massive holding company which has only purchased four companies so far. We talk about those four companies. We also talk about why the US is losing to the rest of the world right now. We get into a little bit about Christian's just day-to-day -day and what he reads, how he learns, and also the best way for you to get a hold of him if you're a founder. It's an awesome interview, guys. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Christian, thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks for uh, having privateer, me. Privateer, conversation I've been looking forward to having for some time. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, let's just get you started on an easy one. What is Privateer? Sure, Privateer is a, is a holding company. We've raised uh, a, a fair amount of capital into the holding company, and we invest and in, in own uh, assets or companies uh, in the emerging legal cannabis space. So we, we own and operate a company called Leafly, leafly.com. Uh, we own and operate one of the licensed producers up in Canada called Tilray. And uh, we own uh, IP and brands under a company uh, called Land's Eye, um, and the, kind of the, uh, the most significant brand in, in that uh, portfolio company is, is the Bob Marley brand. So we have 30-year uh, uh, exclusive rights to the Bob Marley brand. So we're going to touch on the portfolio companies a little bit, but just to start, you said holding company. From the beginning, why was it important to do private equity or a holding company versus venture capital? Yeah, it's a really great question. We get it all the time. Uh, so uh, Brendan, my partner and myself, actually worked at Silicon Valley Bank for years. And, and so we were really familiar with venture capital. And so when we started thinking about this space, we actually wanted to build a private equity fund, a private equity, or I'm sorry, a venture capital fund. Um, and we, we did a lot of research and we kind of looked at the whole sector, the whole category, and we realized that uh, a fund at that time wasn't the best method to you know, enter this business. And so what we did instead is we created this holding company, uh, more of a private equity holding company. And that's allowed us more autonomy than a traditional venture fund. So um, not only can we buy companies or invest in companies, but we could start companies from the ground up. Uh, and, and that example, it's Tilray. We, we started Tilray from the ground up. Mm -hmm. um, and so that model has allowed us a, a lot of flexibility and autonomy um, to essentially kind of roll with this emerging category, right? I mean, there's been so much change over the years. If we had locked into a private equity or a venture capital fund, you know, we would be uh, making passive investments, uh, you know, across the whole category, which wasn't part of our investment thesis. And so we, we kind of we started off as this holding company and morphed into what we are today. So I think what I heard there was control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how important is it that you have that control over working with an autonomous founder? I mean, obviously, that was part of the discussion. How has that come to fruition? Are you, are you happy that you did it that way as opposed to the, the VC route? Yeah, control is, is really important to us. And it's probably a little different than most people think about it. It, it really comes down to compliance. Right. We're, we're a compliance driven organization. You know, this is still a controlled substance. Um, there's still the state federal conflict, especially in the United States. And we, we take compliance very seriously. You know, we built a, a, a highly regulated compliant team and they, they set swim lanes for us. They, they help us guide our strategy. You know, as, as you know, there's a lot of uh, newcomers in the space and a lot of startups and, and, and they're doing it. We, we, we love the entrepreneurs and we love how people are you know, chopping wood every day to, to get market share. Mm -hmm. But we, we look at it through a different lens, right? We know, we know we're high profile, we know people are watching us, and so everything we do obviously has to be above board, it has to be right, it has to be vetted, it has to be vetted by legal, by compliance. So we, we take it very seriously, and, and if we were making passive investments and we had minority shares and, and no control, you know, we could, give, we could give direction, but the entrepreneurs or the owners or the board doesn't have to take that. So control is really important for us today, and it will be, you know, uh, in, in the near and sh uh, short and medium term. Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons that people pay attention so closely is because you've raised a lot of money. Uh, I think it's 220 odd million to date, including 100 million just in January. Uh, that's a lot of money, <laughs> first of all. And 
Talk about a little bit about raising that amount of money. I think a lot of founders listen to this show and they're familiar with how to raise from VCs or how to send out a pitch deck, but talk about the process of raising a fund the size that you guys have raised. Uh, yeah, so it, it wasn't easy, right? We did it in, in three different rounds. We did it in a traditional you know, Series A, Series B, Series C. So we, just, we closed our Series C. It was 100 plus million into the Series C. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, Brendan, my partner, likes to say the Series A raise, which was a $7 million raise, was the hardest raise in, in America. And I, and I still believe that to this date. It, it, was, it was a different time back in 2011, mm-hmm. 2012. Um, but yeah, we, we mostly raise from uh, high net worth individuals, family offices. You know, we have a handful of, of institutional investors as well. Founders Fund is, is an investor. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's not an easy task. And, and part of it is going out to investors and, and telling our story, right? Telling the story about where we came from, where we are today, and where we're going. And really uh, talking through milestones, right? A lot of people in the space put out press releases of something they're going to do. Like we're going to, you know, uh, build a facility in, in this jurisdiction or we're going to create this product. We, we do it and then we put out a press release. Got so we're, we're a little bit different uh, in, that, in that aspect. But those companies are putting out those press releases hopefully in an effort to raise money, right? And in your case, it's sort of the opposite. So you have the luxury of not having to do that. Um, talk about the, the depth of those conversations a little bit with a family office or uh, Peter Thiel, for example. What are the big challenges that they see in giving you that much money? It's really, uh, uh, they're all different, but I think it probably comes down to risk, right? Um, you know, if they're going to deploy capital into this category, meaning cannabis, you know, everybody's looking at this right now. What's the best way to uh, defer risk, right? Or, or, or separate risk from an investment? And if you look at our entire portfolio, um, it encompass, encompasses a fairly broad category, right? From Leafly, which is a technology platform, you know, global, uh, to Tilray, which is a, a medical brand, you know, slash biopharma, to, you know, uh, adult use recreational brands, right? And so instead of um, uh, going really deep into, into one specific category, you could kind of encompass uh, the, the range of cannabis underneath the privateer umbrella. So it, it, almost, it almost acts as a way to de-risk a, a cannabis investment. Um, lots of investors talk about touching the plant versus not touching the plant. You've obviously made the decision to touch the plant. Talk about that decision and the ramifications when it comes to your LPs and investors, or maybe you don't call them LPs in your case, but your investors, yeah. Yeah, so we, we actually made the decision uh, back in 2013, but uh, it, was, it was outside of the U.S., right? So we, um, uh, we had you know, a little bit of press at the time. We had acquired Leafly, and there were some stories on us as you know, kind of mainstream investors entering the space. Um, and so some of the folks from the Canadian government had caught wind of what we were doing, and so we got approached by Health Canada and they, we, Brendan and I flew to Ottawa and we met with um, uh, some of the folks from Health Canada and they said they were starting this new program uh, launching in, in early 2014 and they asked if we would go and look at some of these potential applicants to see if we would make a, an investment. And so we spent really the summer of 2013, we met with probably 30 groups around Canada and you know, understood the entrepreneurs, looked at the business model, looked at the plans, um, and ultimately didn't get comfortable, right? And so we went back to Health Canada and we said, and we really love this new program you guys are about to start. Um, we're not comfortable making a passive investment for the control reasons I just mentioned, um, but we'd like to uh, apply ourselves. And so uh, they said, great. We put together, a, I think it was an 800 page application, uh, submitted it to Health Canada. And I think ultimately we were the seventh or eighth licensed producer uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in parallel, we built, you know, we bought a facility on Vancouver Island, built that out and, you know, kind of built Tilray to what it is today. So it was, it was a, I mean, it was a, it was a serious discussion we had internally, not only with the founders, but with the board. And, and you know, we, we realized early on that, you know, in order to get to the meat and potatoes of this business, you, you, you have to go that way. That's just naturally, that's naturally where you invo- evolve into as, a, as an entrepreneur. How much uh, was liability a discussion, a point of topic in that discussion? I mean, owning the company versus passively invest it, does, is there a distinction there in your mind? 
Um, there, there probably there is a distinction. It's more of a, a, a legal question. Yeah. Um, but we we spent a lot of time with with outside counsel. Um, you know, multiple multiple law firms, uh, global law firms, to to really vet our uh, internal workings and our internal guideline uh, internal guidelines. Um, and so before we make a decision like that, we it, it's not a it's not a rash decision. Sure. And so we, we spent a lot of time with our ecosystem making sure that what we're doing is is right. And, and we ultimately got comfortable. Got it. Um, I want to go through the portfolio a little bit for companies. So it won't take too, <laughs> won't take yeah. too long. Uh, but just give me sort of your thoughts briefly when you were introduced to the company and how they've changed today. Uh, so we'll start with Leafly, Cy Scott's old company, a friend of mine. Um, what was it about Leafly when you were introduced and how do you see it today? Yeah, so when I first got introduced to, to Leafly, it, was, it, it, it opened up a whole new world to me, right? It was a, it was a very, uh, you know, I come from fairly mainstream venture capital, so it, it looked like a real technology platform to me, right? And it was, it had this whimsical element to it, right? It had the colors, it was so well thought out, it was so creative, how they mapped the color scheme to the strains Indica Sativa Hybrid, um, and then talking to the entrepreneurs, they were just so different than anybody else in this category. You know, they came from, you know, a real technology company, and they were doing real things with a, with a, with a, large, with a large technology company. And they, they had vision, you know, they, they, they they talked about where the industry was then and then where it could go, and, and they had real-world uh, uh, scenarios on why they did it. You know, I think it was Scott who you know, was, was trying different strains, and there were so many he couldn't keep track of them, so he wanted to create this application for other people to use. And so it was just, it was just very different than, than the rest of the market at that time. And, and uh, you know, we, we entered that, that scene at the time when they were trying to grow and, and scale the company, and they, they were having a hard time raising money. And so... Um, we acquired them and, and uh, you know, worked with them for, for several years until they left and started their own venture. Um, but right now, you know, we, we like to say it's the largest cannabis uh, technology company on the planet. You know, last month we had uh, 13 million unique visitors. Um, you know, we've localized it into three different languages um, and see r real opportunities around the world with that platform. Mm -hmm. um, and, and not only is it great for the consumer and, and the patient, but it's good for the regulators and people that are trying to understand this category as they're implementing new, whether it's a medical program or an adult use program, um, Leafly has some sort of de facto standard uh, level to it, right? Where, where it's trustworthy and there's good information. Credibility. So there's a credibility factor for sure. And so... Um, that's how we thought about Leafly, and, and that's how it's evolved, and, it, and, it's, and it's really a, a fantastic company that continues to, to grow. Yeah, I think they're the gold standard. That team is just so they're exceptional awesome. when they I really spend are. time with them, uh, and what they're doing now is, is, is also very special. Uh, Marley Natural, that's the next one on my list. You have a 30-year license with the Marley family. What's included in that license? So it's a global license. We could sell um, and, and manufacture, produce all things hemp and cannabis. So you know, think about anything uh, in our current current portfolio. Is you know we have accessories. So we make a nice um, uh, in, uh, glass and, and wood, really nice accessories that you could actually display as opposed to an acrylic bong or something like that. Um, so it's accessories category. We have a body care line where we use. Uh, cold-pressed hemp seed oil infused with Jamaican botanicals that we could sell in all jurisdictions, which is great. You know, we make lip balm and, and body butter and soaps and things of that nature. And then the cannabis piece, you know, we could sell flour to pre-rolls to, to oil to, to edibles, consumables, um, crystal, um, you name it. Uh, and so the only thing that's really off the table are, are lighters and, and rolling papers. Um, that's outside of the license. That's and, outside of the and license. And someone else manages that, or yeah. Yeah, so they have, uh, I would say, about a half a dozen other sub or licensees, um, anywhere from apparel to uh, speakers and, and headphones. Uh, there's a there's a drink. Uh, I think it's called Mellow, Mar Mellow Marley. Um, a couple other smaller categories. Um, so they really break it up. Um, you know, we're we're really grateful that we have this really important chunk of the, of the business. I mean, it's the best name in cannabis, I think. Yeah, I'd, we, you know, we thought about it. Um, you know, there's no, there's, there, there are second and third. Snoop Dogg, Willie sure. Nelson, maybe, but as far as like people, 
I mean, there's he's, no, he's there's a, no yeah. other. I mean, he's a prophet. I mean, yeah. he's an icon. There's yeah. you go to places like you know South America or Brazil, like he's literally a prophet, right? And so, um, people hold significant value and trust in the Bob Marley brand, and we respect that. And we, you know, we want to be stewards of the brand, and we want to get it right. So, it's really important for us to have that 30-year license. You know, we don't we're, we're interested in doing a five-year program and you know just throwing something together and and, and hoping it hits. Like yeah. this is. You know, something we work with on a continual basis. We work with the family. We work with the other agencies. So it's really, it's really important to us to get it right. When you're putting together that deal, how do you start to put a value on what you're buying? You know, how how does that formula come together? Well, um, it, it's a it's a it's a great question. It's a it's a really difficult exercise, especially even you know two three years ago. You look at um, you, know, you got to take a global market, right? You got to take a. a um, uh, a, a segment of the population that you know obviously knows and, and likes Bob Marley, right? And then to extend that uh, user base, how many people would buy a Bob Marley product, you know, in this category? So there's a way to do you know back of the napkin math, mm-hmm. um, uh, which we did, and you know you have to come up with a formula that works for the family, that works for I mean the family's big, it's a big estate, yeah. right? So there's a lot of a lot of people that are involved there, and then there's an agency that represents them, and so big, big discussions around kind of global. Lots of glo- lawyers. Yeah, and, lawyers, yeah. And, and really global opportunity, right? And you know, we throw a number around, you know, all the time, and I think the, the rest of the industry does. It's you know, it's a two hundred billion dollar category, right? And how much of that can a celebrity lifestyle brand capitalize on, right? And so you got to do some some basic math to, to figure out what it looks like. So some formula of the audience times lifetime value of that person times growth sounds complicated. It's a little complicated, but you came to a deal. <laughs> you came to a deal, yeah. and and you know, and it's a good deal. It's a fair deal, and it's and it's a it's a growth deal. It's like it's not you know we're not going to hit it out of the ballpark. You know, the first year or the second year. Um, you know, part of it is you know being in lockstep with legalization, right? With this this. This category really doesn't explode until that happens, and so we need to be thoughtful and we need to be adult-like as we go through those conversations. And so, it's really important to us that you know we have a brand, um, not only the Marley brand but other brands that we can do that in in lockstep with to, to legalization. You've, you've talked about several times, sort of like the timeline and the distant horizon that you're looking at uh, and preparing for that. I hear a lot of cannabis investors talk about a window. Right in that, oh, we've got 18 to 24 months, and then all the licenses are sweeped up, and there's going to be less opportunity. First of all, do you hear that a lot, and and what's your response to that? Uh, I hear that. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily necessarily agree with it. I, um, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to we're trying to build a category. I mean, we 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 look at ourselves as category builders, and I'm talking about the entire sector, the entire category. Um, in order to do that, I mean, you need to lay really good foundations of, of the businesses. Um, you know, when I see, when I hear like a window of opportunity, I, I, I automatically revert to like, we got to take this company public and take it out on some exchange and, and get cash for our stock, right? And I, and I get that, and that's, that's just part of business, right? You have to do that, but... Um, I'm not against that either, but that's not a, that's not how you build a, a category, right? I mean, this is sure. you know boots on the ground, you know hand to hand combat. You know we're still dealing with U.S. policy mm-hmm. that is not in in lockstep with that thought process. Yep. And so um, you you think about where we are on on the on the, in the world of, of global legalization. We're still kind of in the backwaters, right? And so it's not a conversation about making money in Windows. It's about yep. like let's Let's stick our hands down the, the, the sink and and fix this. Like let's like let's find a real fix, yeah. as opposed to you know the six month window to, to get a pop. Sure, yeah. How how difficult was it to align your investors with that mission? That basically cannabis is going to take a long time, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of legal ramifications, which we're going to talk about policy a little bit. Um, how difficult of a sell is that to say it's going to take longer potentially and there's more risk, but like there's huge upside here, right? That That's the conversation? Is that how it goes? Yeah, the conversation is actually a really good question and it's, it's evolved, right? We started raising capital 2011-ish and, you know, most of our early investors were, were in it for the financial returns, but all of them were in it for the social returns, right? They all got the story about 
the harms caused by prohibition, this is uh, the war on drugs has failed, right? That, that story really resonated, and it still does. Now, as you, you, know, you move forward eight years or seven years, whatever the time frame is, the conversation is more about financials and you know, what is time to exit, what's your path to exit. Um, so you get this, you have, we have a, a, a big array of investors as all you know, investors in this category probably feel the same way. Um, so, but our investors in particular, you know, we, we've been very candid and you know, talked about this as you know, what we want to do here is not only um, create companies and create a category, but we want to end prohibition. We want to be part of the solution of prohibition. And, and most investors know that's, that's a long slog. They identify so it's with a, that. You know, it's a yeah. seven to 10 year plan, right? That's, it's just like a, a venture fund. Like when, you, when you're an LP in a venture fund, you know, it's it's a ten it's a it's a ten year run, yeah. and we're you know we're getting close to that, and you know we still don't know what that exact horizon is to to end a prohibition. So I think it was a huge validating moment for myself and others when Peter Thiel and Founders Fund gave you guys a bunch of money. Uh, how big a moment was that for you? I mean, was that a watershed moment for you? Like, hey, this is becoming real. This is becoming mainstream. Talk about that feeling. Yeah, it was de- it was definitely, and there, there's been a lot of those milestones, right? I mean, you you look at what Peter Thiel did and Founders Fund did, and just even uh, late last year, you know, Constellation Brands investing in, in Canopy. Another right? big one. So all yeah. these milestones are starting to stack up. But when when Peter invested, um, the really the first thought that came to my mind, um, and, and this wasn't political at the time, but like it had crossed party lines, right? That's when it really hit me that this isn't a, a, a Republican or Democrat issue, right? This is this is this is a this is an economic play because he famously spoke at one of at the uh, Republican National Convention. He did. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Big big Trump supporter and, and which he know. took a lot of heat for here he, in Silicon Valley. He, he did. Yeah. 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 And still and still does. Yeah, still does. Um, moved down to Southern California recently. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. So that's just that was like a that was a watershed moment. That was a 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 massive moment. And there's the great thing about this industry. There's been another like. You know, I'd say half a dozen, a dozen significant events like that that just keep compounding, right? Which which make this make it better for the entire industry. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to Marley just for a second because it's an interesting story. Uh, what's it like working with the family? I know it's a big sort of conglomerate today, but who do you deal with? Because we see Damien and Ziggy and all the Marley brothers or sons, I guess in this case. But who do you deal with, and what's that like? So we touch a lot of people in the Marley family, uh, Ziggy, uh, Steven, and Sadella. Uh, Sadella's been really great. Um, she lives in, in Miami. Uh, and then the agency, we, we went through CAA, uh, Creative Arts Agency. So it's a, it's a, big, it's a big ecosystem uh, within the Marley family, and, and, they're, and they're great. Um, so we, we deal with uh, as many of them as we can, and the, grand, and the, and the grandchildren, too. Yeah. You know, they're the, the, the younger generation that's coming up. Uh, you know, a lot more hip than us and, you know, have a really good pulse on what's going on out there uh, in, this, in the cannabis space. So it's really good to, to bounce stuff off of them. And how involved are they? I mean, you said you bounce stuff off of them. Like, is this a weekly? Is this a monthly? I mean, how, how integrated are they? Uh, you know, they're integrated. They touch all different parts of the team. So I'm, I'm assuming, and this is, this is a, a guess, but I'm assuming somebody from underneath the privateer umbrella is touching somebody from the Marley family, you know, once every 10 days, mm-hmm. something like okay. that. Got it. Just for the record, Damian Marley's my favorite Marley, but I'm just a hip hop fan like that, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'll probably get some arguments. They're all great. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Tilray. Uh, That's the next one I have on the list. Um, This is a good opportunity. We should talk about international cannabis versus U.S. cannabis. As I look around at Germany and Canada and South America, it feels like the U.S. is losing. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're behind. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? 100%. The U.S. has ceded this entire category to the Canadians, to the Dutch, to the Germans. Full stop. There's just just no other way to explain it. I mean, if you look what's going on with policy, with this new administration, they've they've, uh, revoked the coal memo. You know, the only sort of protection in place is Rohrbacher Blumenauer, which is really just a defensive mechanism. Um, you know, juxtaposed to the other side of the border, right? You go up to, to Canada and, you know, medical is 100% legal and it's been so since early 2014. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister, ha- ran on, 
you know, one of his top five initiatives was to legalize adult use of cannabis, which he's doing. And so that, that train is on the rails, right? It's, it's moving to, Canada's moving to legalization this summer. Mm -hmm. It was initially supposed to be July 1st, but it's pushed a little bit, but it will happen. That was one of his tenets, like that's what he was gonna do. And so what that's created is, you know, uh, our competitors and all the other LPs in Canada now are able to, you know, bank freely and they're able to, you know, play in, in normal, with normal business infrastructure which leads most of them to a, a public exchange. So, you know, a lot of a lot of the LPs in Canada are publicly listed, and uh, they're trading at these massive valuations. And it's you know and these are what I mean by massive. You know, anywhere from a billion to six, seven billion dollars enterprise valuations. Mm -hmm. All right, that's that's a significant that's a significant piece of uh, of a business, yep. and. What that does is, um, and, then, and then juxtaposed back to the United States where it's still federally legal, it's really hard to raise money, uh, there's a lot of confusion on the state-federal conflict, while in Canada, they're just continuing to grow. They're growing and they have capital and they have currency and they're spreading out to the other 30 legal countries around the world, right? And they're able to build a footprint and they're able to scale. And you know, fortunately for us, we're 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 one of those companies operating legal out operating legally outside of the U.S. But we're the only there's a half of another company is is you are the Americans. So we're really the only company uh, outside of the U.S. that has a chance, right, to do this. And and that, as an American businessman, that that hurts, right. This is a I really do think this is a U.S. and American category, like especially Northern California, Southern Oregon, like. You know, this is the genesis of, of yes. all cultural significance of cannabis, and we've ceded it to Toronto, right? The Toronto, you know, they're growing it in greenhouses, which is fine, and that's probably you know how it's going to evolve. Mm -hmm. But this is this is this is something that Americans should 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 own, should right? care about. They should and care own. about, and this is like this is something that policymakers should should care about, and we're we're just we're not there. Why do you think that is? The economic indicators are so clear. They really are, from Colorado and California, everywhere that's even had medical, it's clear. People take less opioids, they die less from other drugs when cannabis is present. Is it still a moral debate? Is that where we are today? Because financially, it's so clear to me. Yeah, you go to any new, net new jurisdiction, you know, you're talking about job, job creation, job growth, you're talking about creating a whole new category, and, it, and it's across the board. These are, these are marketing jobs and accounting jobs, payroll, you know, R&D, science, you know, this is, you know, dried flour, you know, being rolled into a, a joint is, you know, that's not what it is yeah, anymore. That's it's a like very small very part small of small portion, yeah. that's right. And, I, you know, I don't know. I, we, we struggle with all the time. We're part of all the federal lobbying initiatives and the local lobbying initiatives. But, you know, there's still a really a stronghold in the House of, of, and Senate of, you know, very strong far-right evangelicals, right, that, that see a moral hazard in this, right? They, they do. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the conversation. That's part of, you know, I think what everybody should be trying to do. And I'm not getting preachy, but, like, this is, you know, this is still alarming you know, in, in some of these areas, you know, like um, Southeast Texas and, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana, or, you know, these, these other jurisdictions where they're just not used to it and they're not comfortable around it. Or they're taking people's kids away or, you know, very, very drastic ramifications from something that is completely benign. That's right. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy to me. Okay, talk about Tilray a little bit more deeply. They're the first company to ever export cannabis legally. That's right. We, that's remarkable. Yeah. Talk about how that came to fruition, and the, that, that's a big deal. That's a big moment in, in cannabis. Yeah, um, it, it, is, it was a big deal. It's still a big deal, and we still, you know, still kind of hit those milestones regularly. Um, we're the first company in North America, so we shipped um, product from North America into the EU. EU. Um, it was for a palliative care study with another legal medical jurisdiction. Um, but it took about a year. It took about a year to, to do the paperwork, right? And so we had to work with the import country and get the proper permits and paperwork. And then we had to bring that and bring that to Health Canada and explain you know, how it was gonna work. And so it was unprecedented. So it, it took a long time and we did it. Um, and we're glad we did it, but it opened the door to other exports. So now I think we've exported to about 10 countries around the world. Wow. We exported, we announced our export this week to South Africa. 
Um, you know, we have a, a, a handful of other exports we'll announce in, in the coming months. But yeah, really, really exciting. And, and they're, you know, they're small, they're small engagements, right? But it's, it's, it's a, it has this really interesting pioneering effect where, you know, we, we kind of open Pantora's box to a degree, right? Like, okay, this is, this is, this is safe, safe, we did it. We did the stability testing. We got the product in market, it works. Um, you know, the, the world still spins, right? It, 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 it's all part of the message, it's all part of the story. Mm -hmm. So we're re really, really proud of that. So now we're really talking about globalization of cannabis, right? And, and Canada clearly has a first mover advantage, largely because of their politics. Mm -hmm. As time goes on, 10 years from now, is Canada still gonna be the leader? Maybe. Uh, depends on what happens with U.S. policy, okay. quite frankly. I think if, if the U.S. was uh, able to end prohibition, I think there's still a good chance that they could own this category. Um, if, we, if, we're, if we're still um, here where we are now in three to five years, there's going to be no way, it's going to be really difficult to compete against the Canadians or the Dutch or the Germans or whatever legal jurisdiction comes about, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, say we're sitting, you know, you fast forward three years and the LPs are in, you know, a dozen countries and they got this big manufacturing footprint and they got these brands and they, they have market share and they have all these accessibility points, right? They, they kind of own the global supply chain, right? Which is, you know, where everyone's going to go. Um, and then, then you talk about the U.S. And, and where we are. There's a scenario where, you know, if you, if you fast forward to that scenario and you and I are talking about starting a company, we'd be like, okay, let's go start a company, but we're gonna go compete against Coca-Cola. Right. Like it's just, you know, it's David and Goliath. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's possible, but it's really hard to do as an entrepreneur, it's right? Like starting a car company. Yeah, it's like starting, you know, yeah. it's, it's done. It's not, yeah. it's not unprecedented, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a, it's a, that's a big conversation, right? You're talking about taking on a ma massive global brand, mm -hmm. which is really hard to do, and, and that's unfortunately what's happening right now. We're seeding, we're seeding that opportunity to giving them outside. a huge head start. Huge head start. And, yeah, and they, I mean, they openly laugh at it. They're, like, it's funny to them because you know Canadians and Americans are very friendly and you know do a lot of business together, and they're just looking at this, you know, massive two hundred billion dollar category that's completely greenfield. Uh, and we're going in the other direction. Yeah, I was talking to Kyle of FlowHub uh, mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago about this exact topic, and he went as far to say that U.S. Congress are cowards. Basically, it's untenable to do anything about the subject, and so they're just punting. They just don't do anything about it. And honestly, I'm a little embarrassed that, that they just don't care enough to get this done. I know people have a lot of complaints about Congress broadly, but this one, and maybe I'm just biased, mm -hmm. <laughs> It's so simple to me, it's mm -hmm. so simple. And we, we are losing. Um, mm -hmm. The last one on the list is Good Ship, mm -hmm. the fourth company. Uh, Jody was just on the show a couple weeks ago that hasn't been released yet, but excited for that to come out. What was it about Jody and Good Ship that was so compelling? Jody is you know classic entrepreneur. You know she started her career at Starbucks as an early employee, you know, cut her teeth in marketing there, you know, grew Starbucks you know, for a significant portion of, of their arc. Um, and had a personal relationship with Howard Schultz. That's too. right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and really, um, a really innovator in the Pacific Northwest scene, you know, the whole Seattle scene, really is a, a, almost a cult following. Yeah. And so she, she really got that from Starbucks, and then she started uh, Cupcake Royale, which is a, a, a chain of, of cupcake retail shops before Cupcake retail was a thing, right? Yep. She kind of did that uh, way, way before. Before Cupcake Wars and exactly, reality right? TV. Yeah, so yeah. really innovative, really creative, um, really uh, really into, into brand design and culture. Um, and then she pivoted. She left Cupcake Royale and she started Good Ship um, and really created this almost like a marketing behemoth, right? It was just a great branding company, really clever. Um, and she's, you know, she comes from a baking background and, and really figured out a way to infuse and, and figure out the emulsification of cannabis um, in these products. And, and not only um, she created this, this skyline of products, but the innovation and the design and the team to riff on new uh, form factors and, and products was just uh, unparalleled. And so we, we, we loved that company as, as just classic entrepreneurs and, and thinking about this under... Uh, 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 market segmentation type of way.
Yeah. When I asked her about the decision to ultimately raise more capital or sell to you guys, she said one of the biggest uh, points for her was that she was sick of explaining to investors about Trump and Sessions and the Cole memo and that struggle of raising money. Um, I, I, do all of your companies feel that way, I suppose? Like, for me, it was sort of a, a, a very striking reason mm-hmm. that basically, like, it was really hard to raise money because of X, mm-hmm. and she was so blunt about it, and I loved that. Do you hear that often from, from others, too? Is that, is that sort of a, a part that you play here? You're the shield? We, we do, and that's, you know, that's what we really liked about Jody. You know, a ton of self-awareness. Like, she's really good at these five things, does not want to go out and raise capital and pull investors through the knothole, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's only so many of those conversations you could have, right? And she wants to focus on the business and building brands. And so it was a it was a good arrangement, you know, as we had that conversation. You know, I, I I fundraise too, but my partners do most of the fundraising. I I struggle sometimes too, having, you know, a, a really basic conversation about, you know, current state of affairs and, and what the world's gonna look like in five years. Well, you're doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> that's a good uh, transition into just a little bit about you. I think people will be fascinated just by your day-to-day, you know? What does Christian's day look like uh, from, from any given day? Today, are you looking at companies? Are you looking at financials? What, what do you do every day? I do a lot. It varies. Uh, I spend a lot of time on the road. I'm, I'm usually on an airplane every week. Um, I, uh, I pride myself in um, traveling around the world and in, in, in the U.S. and in North America and looking at this sector and all aspects of the sac- sector and, and understanding um, entrepreneurs today and, and how they envision uh, a world post-prohibition. Um, one of the things I deal with a lot is information. Um, you can uh, research stuff at your desk online and you could learn a lot about this space, but there's something still really unique and, and gritty about this space where you need to go out in the field and talk to cultivators and talk to farmers and talk to processors and producers and talk to you know people that are doing really unique things with cannabinoids and terpenes and, and understanding the consumer and the patient and, and just understanding the landscape of, of of the history of, of cannabis, where it is today and where it could potentially go. Um, and so it leads me uh, on, a, on a meandering path sometimes between our portfolio companies and looking at new opportunities, new investments, and you know, strategically where we want to deploy capital or where, where our next project's gonna be. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 a, it's a really unique role within our organization. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of direct reports in, intentionally, which gives me a lot of autonomy to go out and, and, and look at new opportunities. So would you say, based on that role, that you are the most informed and up-to-date in privateer? That's, that's your role, sort of to absorb as much as possible? Um, I, I think in some of the areas, yeah. Uh, you know, some of my partners are, you know, like Brendan, for example, is really good in Canada, really good with Canadian policy. Um, you know, Sunshine's really good with, with California policy. Um, and I kind of weave in and out of that, right? And so it, it, it depends on, um, we, we, look at, we look at cannabis uh, on spectrum, right? On one side, there's uh, medical slash biopharma like Tilray, and then the other side, there's adult use, you know, Bob Marley, and in the middle, there's this kind of wellness, right? And that wellness is really intriguing to me because it hasn't really been identified yet. And I, what I mean by that is someone's going to figure out how to mix a, a cannabinoid with melatonin, right? And make a real true sleep aid, right? Yeah. That's, that's going to happen, right? And that, that's really interesting to me. And so we think about pot now and pot future. Pot now is, is fairly small. Pot future... Is is really big, mm-hmm. and I think the big part of that is in that kind of that middle, that middle piece of the spectrum. Yeah. So it's 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 important for me to to understand that and go out and understand the way people think about that and the way they design products and brands that way, and the way entrepreneurs think about that. There's a huge trend towards remote work and conference calls and video chats, which obviously have their value. Talk about the additional value of being there and looking someone in the eye. We're doing this this interview in person versus over the phone. Uh, young people are like, ah, I can work wherever, I can be a digital nomad. Does that work for you? Is that gonna work in the future? You know, I think it works, works in some aspects of the business. Um, I, you know, we have some uh, 
folks in our ecosystem that are back in New York, right? And I always, you know, have fun kind of banter back and forth with them. I said, you can't, you can't be making decisions from New York. This is a, this is a West Coast thing. You know, as much as people don't want to believe it, this is a West Coast yeah. thing, right? You look at from BC to Washington to Oregon, all the way down through California, like that, that is the, that's cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. In my mind, like, you know, growing cannabis in Southern Ontario in February is, you know, you can do it, yeah. but like that doesn't, that's, that's not the end. I don't think that's the end game, yeah. right? I mean, this yeah. is something that is West Coast, probably moves more down towards the equator yeah. over time. Yeah, no, that's but what I was gonna ask you is, how much does climate play a role here? I mean, if you're in a climate where you can grow in South America, for example, year round, mm -hmm. and you don't have the additional uh, overhead of lights and et cetera, is it, aren't they going to win? <laughs> Isn't that where this is headed? Unprecedented. You know, no one's ever really done it at scale. Um, but on paper, that math makes sense, right? You you do a big greenhouse or a big outdoor grow, and you could do hectares or acres. And if you could grow good product, right? The difference between uh, good product, I say, is the difference between sell in and sell through. Like you could sell into any dispensary once, yep. maybe twice. Yep. But if it doesn't have the sell through. Your, your brand's done, right? And so if, if, if you could do that at scale and still get that quality and still, uh, if your product can express itself with the consumer, yeah, you're gonna be fine. But it's, it's never been done, right? And so that, a lot of people are putting out press releases, they're saying they built, or they're building a facility or they're gonna build you know, 20 acres of, of you know, cannabis cultivation. I, you know, I applaud them, but is that gonna, is that gonna, does that scale work? Mm. We, we don't know yet. Mm, we don't know. Maybe the best example is the flower industry, which shifted down there That's and right. different type of flowers. But ultimately, South America ended up winning they in, won. in, the, in the flower market. In so, a short period of time, um, yeah. Hard to see how it doesn't go that way today, although investing large amounts of capital into South America has its own tricky things to, to navigate right. there. That's right. Yeah, it has its own tricky things. Um, I consider you a cannabis expert. I think what people want to know from the experts is where do they get their information? What do you read? Where do you what do you consume every day when you wake up? What what do you need to know? Uh, so I read uh, what do I, I read Leafly. Um, Leafly has a great content team. Um, you know they do a, a, a really good journalism and they 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 dig pretty hard. Um, I read MJ Business Daily. I, I no matter what no matter what happens I will look at the headlines. I read that every day. Uh, I read uh, Weed, Week, Weed Week, which comes out on Saturday mornings, which is kind of like a, a corral of uh, aggregates all the, the weekly news stories, and I, I miss a lot of them. Um, and so it's a good place to aggregate those news stories. I watch, you know, um, your your show. Thank you. Um, I, you know, and then I, I I read the mainstream news too. I, I like. Yeah. To what do you read on in the mainstream? Well, I like to read what um, you know, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or you know, like a, a Yahoo Finance uh, writes about this category because it's very different than like you and what you and I read. Right? You and I probably geek out on on the news stories. Right? It's super nuanced on you know who's buying who or or you know who's merging or something like that. But when you look at it kind of from the, the mainstream perspective. It has a little bit of a tilt, a different tilt to it, and so it, it's it's really important to me to understand not only what the what the base, the cannabis, you know, hardcore people are reading, but you know, people outside of that, right? The 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 concentric circles, right? So it's important to see uh, how people perceive the space and how that perception is changing over time. How do you deal with the so-called fake news problem? The idea that everything is biased and everybody has an agenda, and how do you, how do you navigate that? I mean, it's all there's. It's just all a lot of white noise, right? Uh, we we tend to internalize um, what we do, and you know, we we try to hit milestones, right? And we make, we hit these milestones, and then we put out news on the milestones. And so, you know, I, I hope I, I hope people see the difference between what we do and what you know the next you know Leafly killer is doing, or the next privateer killer that's coming up every day, right? To try to yep. you know unseat us or try to get market share. Mm -hmm. we're, we're different. We we actually do it and then announce it as opposed to saying we're going to do it. Mm. Yeah, I which know, is a very interesting distinction. Very um, look forward a little bit, not just in terms of policy or globally, but in segments. What's really exciting in the cannabis industry? You know, as as you look ahead, what, what's something that that you want to see more of? I, I'm really, I'm really impressed right now with the innovation, the R&D. Um, 
just not, not only extraction, um, but the, the isolation of the cannabinoids and the terpenes and kind of recompounding those in a different form factors, right? And then, and then mapping that to a, a, maybe a potential ailment, right? Something that it could actually fix, something that um, somebody's willing to put some research into and, and actually put the time in and the money into as opposed to, you know, this, makes, this might work. I, that that R and D science piece is really interesting, and I think if you see more of those stories, that's how you, you get to the other side of prohibition, right? Because there's real science behind it. There's real, you know, there's real PK studies. There's real trials, and and you could go and have a, a real conversation with Congress or 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 uh, medical institutions. Like this isn't, you know, pie in the sky anymore. This, here's real data to support what we thought, you know, ten years ago. And so to me, that, that's really exciting. I, and I, I hope more people get into the industry for that reason, as opposed to, I'm just gonna make a bunch of vape carts and, and get a bunch of market share, which is interesting as well, but it, it's a different slant to that. I think that uh, as a society, by having this lack of research, we're doing the society a tremendous disservice because we have people now that are consuming cannabis on a very regular basis. I'll put my hand up as one of those, no surprise. And I don't really know what happens in 50 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it affects my brain in that way. I'm fairly comfortable with the idea that it's good for me in the short term, mm -hmm. but we, we're not giving everybody the full picture mm -hmm. of this product that's becoming more and more pervasive mm -hmm. in our society. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the main concerns that I have, both on the medical and the recreational side, is we've done a lot of studies about alcohol. Mm -hmm. We need those studies, right? Yeah. I, and I, I guess the answer to that is, is federal prohibition and we have to have more grants and more funding. And is there another reason that I'm missing here that we don't have this information, that we, there's nobody working on this right now? Well, I, I, think, I think people are, are working on it. It's just, it's so, it's so big, right? I think about just what we do at Tilray. We're involved in you know, a half a dozen clinical trials around the world and we focus on, 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 a, on a huge array of, of potential outcomes and we focus on you know, anything from children's epilepsy to COPD to chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. Mm -hmm. um, and these are with governments. These are with institutions and in, in, in full governments. And we do, uh, uh, you know, glioblastoma, which is brain tumor shrinkage and, and PTSD and pain. Like, and so that's a, a massive array a lot. Of, of, of topics, right? And you know, it's like you're a dog in a room full of tennis balls. Like, what? And, and how do you, so how do you focus on that? And there's, there's not a lot of companies doing that. You need more people to kind of really focus on, on one particular program. Mm -hmm. And so until that happens, and until there's enough capital to go into that, it's still, it's still kind of this shotgun approach. Mm, yeah. Um, I wanna wrap up on sort of a more broad question here. You've been in the cannabis industry for some time, very early in the cannabis industry, not necessarily cannabis, but the industry. How do you feel now that we're here and California has legalization and the world is opening up? What's that mean to you? It's it's bittersweet, um, and we touched on it earlier. I, I'm 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 really great. First of all, I'm really grateful to be in this industry. Like it's been a, a wild ride. It's been a, it's a really interesting arc, and I, I it, uh, surpassed all my wildest expectations of, of a career. Right? It's just been it's so it's it's wild and fun. Um, uh, I. Uh, I, I hope the U.S. policymakers can find a way to, to take some action soon. Um, and and I, don't, I don't say that lightly because, you know, we talked about it. I, I, I really do think this is a, it is a $200 billion category. And there's really some net positive uh, events that will come out of there. And it, and it comes with consequences too. Don't get me wrong, I, I understand that. But I think ultimately... You know, legalization will create a, a net positive impact, right? And so, as much as I want that to happen, I think happen, it is. It, it is. It is today. You know, we're yeah. seeing it today, yeah. and I, but some people still don't see it that way, right? It's still a moral hazard, um, and so I, I, I just I hope, and and that's you know I, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a venture guy, I'm a business guy. I normally don't go on hope, but I do have hope. I really I really do, and I, I really I'm really bullish in this industry, and I, I just wish there was more we could do collectively as an industry to row in the same boat together because this isn't a zero sum game. No, not it's not, this isn't like we're, we're making Google and there's only one search engine. It's not like we're making Facebook and there's only one 
you know, social media platform. Like, you know, this is like any other uh, CPG, consumer branded, uh, uh, consumer branded product, right? And so everybody needs to understand that, like this entire industry that we got we to collectively, you know, row together. The pie to is very big. Yeah, let's get yeah. to the end of prohibition, and then we could do the, the fighting, right? And then, then we could compete, but let's, you know, let's, let's, let's figure this thing out. I mean, there's enough momentum right now. If you, you get, you know, the industry leaders in the room and you, you're able to raise enough capital, you could, you could, we could probably make a significant impact. Mm-hmm. But so it's, you know, I, I know it can happen, but it's, it's, it's still not there yet. Well said. Uh, what can our audience do for you? Are you hiring anybody? You know, is there something that you're looking for? It's your moment to, to plug anything you, you want to. Oh, geez. Um, we're always hiring. We're always looking for talented people. Uh, we're always looking for uh, people that are uh, intellectually curious about cannabis. Um, we, we know it's a really hot space right now and we get a lot of people that like, oh, I want to join cannabis because it's hot. And, you know, we, we love the fact that there's a lot of people like that, but we, I, we're, we, I really like the people that are, are thinking about this in a different way, right? Uh, especially people that have come from, you know, maybe a food and drug organization that can map a skill set that is not very present in this space and they could use that skill set and actually make it better, Absolutely. right? So we, we are always looking for people like that. Cy Scott. Cy Scott. One of, the, one of the best examples of that. But yeah, great. Um, certainly an awesome place to work, I can tell just from, from this conversation. How about uh, companies? You must get a lot of outreach for companies. How does a company get a hold of you, and you know what do they do well? How do, how do they endear you? I suppose um, we we have a we have an investment team, so they vet a lot of the deals. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, uh, so I, I do get a lot of direct contacts. Um, what, what what I like is if you know I, I think about I, I know the space well, I know the the products really well. <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, I, I don't want to have um, I try to get straight to the point, right? I, if someone wants to talk to me about like fractional distillation and and, and like really geeking out on cannabinoids, like I'm there, like I'll, I'll engage with you right away. But if you're uh, starting off with, you know, you know, cannabis should be legal, like that's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm there, I'm already there, right? And so I'm already, I'm already forward, further along than most people. So table stakes. Those are table. That's stakes, right. Yeah. Like, let's talk about like. Tell me, tell me something. Let's talk about. Don't something. tell me the size of the cannabis market. Yeah, yeah. Like, tell me something I don't know. Let's talk about something that that it's like new or unique. Uh, like, I, I want to like. Let's talk about the future. Like, I, I like to have those conversations. Let's talk about the future. That's the best way to wrap it up that Let's I can think of. Christian, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for being Thanks here for and spending me. some time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. Uh, great, guys. So we'll see you next time.